0: City, let's give God a hand clap of praise for no one like him no one like him listen Grace City we are one year away from the time that we had an announcement that we could not have church last year and the miracle that they just sang about and the faithfulness of God is that we are still here and do me a favor Help me celebrate this team who have made sure that this work continues. Come on, send me some hearts to all of the team that continue to push this work forward. I am so grateful Uh, this could not happen without the team and the grace and the love of God. And so we're just excited about that. Well, this is the Knife Week of our 10-week series entitled Onset and in the book of James. And last two weeks, Bob told us to learn our lines by explaining the theology and practice of speech. For the next two weeks, Grace City, we're concluding our series on the power of God's will in James 4, 13 through 17, and the power in prayer in James 5, 13 and 20. So let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We celebrate you for bringing us this far. God, you are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me, shake me, make me, break me to what you need us to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister to our minds. Speak with our tongue. Love with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And our God's children say, amen, amen. There is no one. Our focus text is James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 here in your reading, in your hearing. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. I want to preach this morning from the title, The Power in God's Will. Oftentimes, Grace City, we hear the key to being successful in life is having a plan. Benjamin Franklin once said, if you fail to plan, then you are planning to fail. I think we can all agree that having a plan is an important part of navigating our lives. But even in the best planning, we only create a plan that is good. Because in order for us to have a perfect plan, you would need to know what is happening in the past, what happens in the present, and you would also need to know the future. Let me see if I can put this where you can get it. Many of us probably sat down with a financial planner before. And the job of the planner is to create a plan so that you can meet your financial goals in the future. One of the ways they do this is they show you a chart that shows you where you will be financially in the future. And if you save a certain amount of money, you will have this amount amount at the end. Your eyes light up and you're excited about and willing to save for your future. After showing you this compelling presentation, you go ahead and agree to invest with this company. Then the planner, he or she, reminds you something about this chart. They say this chart is simply an estimate. Um, 11% is only an estimate of the return interest for over the next 40 years. This is an average. They want you to know that, yes, I've looked at the past, and yes, I've looked at the present, but I do not know the future. As a matter of fact, most analysts have a formal way of having a probability. Their probability can go as high as 85% that you can have this amount in the future. But the planner makes it clear that it is an estimate he or she is not in control over the future, the interest rate, or time. The planner believes he or she have a good plan, but he knows that its plan is not perfect because he does not control of the future. Well, if the financial planner understands that he does not or she does not have control of the future, surely we as Christians should understand that we don't have a perfect plan because we do not know what tomorrow holds. But the good news for the believer is that although we don't know what tomorrow holds, we do know the one who holds tomorrow. We know the one who's not contain to time. We know the one that is omnipresent. We know the one that's omniscient. We know the one who's omnipotent. Grace City, God is the only one that holds our future and his plan is perfect. That he is the we need to align our plan with God's plan. He is the one that said to Israel in the midst of captivity, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope in the future. He is the one that said to Abraham, I am going to make you a father of many nations. He is the one that said to Israel when they were in Egyptian captivity, I'm going to let my people go. He is the one that saved his people on an old rugged cross. He's the one that got up from the grave and had victory over death. He is the one that is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Grace City, we see in order to have a perfect plan, we must align our plan with God's plans and this is the question for us this morning do you as your plans aligned with God's will because when you do you will discover there's power in God's will Jesus makes this clear when he taught his disciples to pray he said let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven well in our text this morning we find James continuing to converse with his audience in chapter 4 about submitting to God. I know submitting is not a word that we like in this modern day, but he wants us to know that submission to God is a good thing. He opens this chapter by admonishing the audience about fights and quarrels among themselves. For James, it's more submitted we are to God the more we will be submitted to one another. So James in verses 1 through 6 says, submit your words to God. Bob told us those words that are submitted to God are on script. And when our words are not submitted, they are off script. In verses 7 through 12, James says, submit our lives to God and we will be able to resist evil. And now this last section in chapter 4, James is calling his audience to submit your plan to God because there's power in God's will. God's plan is perfect because he's the one that knows the past, the present, and the future. James uses a fictional analogy starting in verse 13. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that and spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. In other words, James is speaking to those who have made plans, have resources and power to make decisions. James is not saying that planning is wrong, but he is saying that you can't have a perfect plan without being in the will of God. Our ultimate purpose for any believer that he wants to be in the will of God. Why? Because there is power, church, in the will of God. James is clear that people are placing trust in their own plans is dangerous because we are at risk of having a wrong understanding of other people as well as a wrong understanding of ourselves. There's a risk of the sin of presumptuousness that we are masters of our own course, and all we have to do is make right decisions. In other words, James is making it clear that your good choices are not the only thing that navigates your life. It is God, and it is your choices along with being aligned with God, and God's will is what moves us forward. Jesus uses a fictional example to exact to 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 address this audience letting them know that when you align with God's will there's an aspect about God you can recognize because there's power in God's will great city when our plans align with God's plan we will recognize God's sovereignty we will recognize God's sovereignty here it is in the text look at verse 14 why You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanish. James is addressing in this story those who are deliberately have confidence in their own plan. Those men in verse 13, he's addressed. Look, the ones today, tomorrow, we will go to the city, spend years there, carry on business, make money. People who have the power to decide where they go, when they go, how long they go, and how long they stay, and what the outcome would be. The danger in this kind of success is you can find confidence in your decisions and fail to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is God is above all things and before things. God's sovereignty is God created all things and hold all things together God's sovereignty is God knows all things, the past, present, and future. James says, even though you have a good plan, don't forget God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is at work, and it is greater than any of our plans. James knows we are at risk of being presumptuous. So James says to his audience, you need to acknowledge your ignorance. He says in verse 14, you've got to acknowledge your ignorance. That means what you don't know. He says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And your life is not even your life. He says, acknowledge that you are not in control of your life. James wants them to know that their plans are still a part of a bigger plan. Great city, when we place our confidence in our plans, ignore the fact that we do not know what tomorrow holds. We lose sight of the fragility of our humanity. And Jane and, 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 and Luke helps us with this because he tells a parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And I'll put the Cory Bonds on it, if you will. Uh, he says, There was a rich man who yielded his abundance. He asked himself, What should I do? If with my abundance, the man decided to store up. So he decided to create bigger barns, find other places he can put his money in so that he can gain more interest. He planned that by 65 years old, I'm going to spend my money and live my life. But right at 65, when he retired, the man was called to go home to be with the Lord. The man had a good plan. But it wasn't the perfect plan because he didn't have the future. He didn't align his plan with God's plan. And he ended up failing to recognize the providence and sovereignty of God. If he aligned his plans with God's plan, he would have understood that he's not guaranteed to live to 65. And she should impact the kingdom while he has time on earth right now. Jesus calls him a fool. He failed to submit his plans to God's plans only to find time had run out and he ended up dying rich with his riches store up. Grace City, when we understand God's sovereignty and recognize God's sovereignty, you understand this, Grace City. You are one text message, one email, one bad day on the stock market, one bad diagnosis, one sickness, one pandemic, one bad decision away from your life changing forever. You can't afford to make a plan without aligning your plan with God's plan because God is sovereign and he's in his, it is in his providence. Great City James is saying to you and to me, that there's power in aligning our plan with God's plan. Grace, right? see, the first thing we see is when our plans align with God's plan, we recognize God's sovereignty. But the second thing you'll see is when you align your plans with God's plan with God, you recognize God's sufficiency. Look at verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James does something that I believe is important for every believer. He adds a qualifier, which is if the Lord's will. In other words, James put the onus on God and not on his plans. That's a preach right there. There is power in aligning with God's will. James is saying it is not enough to just acknowledge our fragility of our humanity. But we must acknowledge that even in our best plans, God's hand is at work. God has a perfect plan, and we need to align our plan with his will. God's will come in two forms, great City. We have God's perfect will and God's permissive will. We know God's perfect will. We heard it in Romans. Paul addresses it in Romans 12 and 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But here it is. Then you will be able to test or prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. <laughs> Paul and James are saying the same thing that submit your words When you submit your lives and you submit your plans to God, you can find God's perfect will. There's also God's permissive will is when God allows things to happen. This is not necessarily immediate and good. In fact, God often allows evil things to happen. Uh, He does this a couple reasons. One, first, God allows evil things to happen in order to preserve the gift of free will that he has given us. Second, God allows evil to happen because he knows that he can bring about greater good in the in the in the in the situation. It is important to note that God does not cause evil, but God allows something to happen that is contrary to his will because he knows he can use it for even a greater good. When we look at Grace City Church, Lil, I remember uh, we wanted to align our plan with God's plan. And one of the ways we did that is we had a SWOT analysis by looking at the strength and weaknesses and opportunities and threats of our church. Every area we had someone have a voice and speak into it, and we wanted everyone to speak into it. It was a great plan that then we said, this is what we're going to do in the future." But our plan, Lil, Mary Lou, didn't have in a plan the plan for a pandemic. We had a good plan. <laughs> But it wasn't pandemic proof. But we was clear that we needed to align our plan with God's plan. And when you align your plan with God's plan, we discovered a year later that God's grace is sufficient. (laughs) Y'all, that's my point here, is that God, and you will discover God's sufficiency. I know that I'm in good ground. I know I'm in good ground because there was a man named Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 10, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to make it go away, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Great City, first, when our plans align with God's plans, we can recognize God's sovereignty. Second thing I see is when I Recognize God's sufficiency, but the last thing I can recognize is God's humility. Look at verses 16 and 17. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all much boasting evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, doesn't it sin for them? James is getting to the root of the problem, which is our arrogance. Which you're placing your confidence in yourself. James is clear that our confidence is in God. There is no room for boasting. James is addressing the sin of presumptuousness when we think more of ourselves and our plans than God. James says it is the same thing as doing evil, but he says it's not the sin of commission, which is the willful and knowing act of doing wrong, but he says it is the sin of omission, which not doing what we ought to do, which give God the credit and towards his sovereignty and his grace. When we do this, we fail to acknowledge the power of the cross, Grace City, because the redemption of our lives is on that cross. And that is God's perfect plan. The opposite of our sin of presumptuousness is boasting and, and, and our boasting is God's humility. And Christ's humility is found at the cross. Philippians 2, and Paul writes this as well, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Great City James is clear that there is power in aligning with God's will when we recognize God's sovereignty, God's sufficiency, and God's humility. You know, the night that Jesus was headed to the cross, God had a plan and man had a plan. It, there were two wills going on. It was the will of God and it was the will of man. The will of man was to show that Jesus was a guilty man and to show that he was evil and wrong that was the will of man but the will of God was in this moment that he would redeem his world and change the lives forever so Jesus sweating blood in the middle of this anxiety stressed out head to a garden called the garden of Gethsemane he goes there at 100% man 100% God and then he says these words he says these Pharaoh my father if it is possible Let this cup pass for me. But in the same sentence, he says, nevertheless, watch this. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus aligned his plan with God's will. He found God's sovereignty. He got God's sufficiency. He found God's humility. The will of God was for Jesus to die and redeem the world, to raise, be raised from the dead so all may be saved. It is the work of the cause. That is the ultimate perfect plan. Jesus taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth.